This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. We're continuing in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, which continues with one of the prevailing themes, of course, of Ecclesiastes, which is the certainty of uncertainty. And uh, Solomon has a lot more to say about that. Verses 14 and 15 If you look there in chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes, it says, There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity, and I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life, that God has given him under the sun. Uh, so he's he's again putting these two ideas opposite one another. He's juxtaposing the uncertainty and the unfairness of life with something that can be certain. Uh, and if you look at the earlier portion of the book of Ecclesiastes, <laughs> excuse me, chapter 8, the earlier portion of chapter 8, the certain thing that he is fixated on there is the rule of a, of a king or a sovereign in this case. Uh, and I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned here. And I, I think also there's some messianic implications as, as well, things to learn about Christ. And so verse 1, Solomon begins with, Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face has changed. So uh, previously, Solomon would say that Wisdom brings grief in chapter 1 and verse 18. So what does he mean by this, that insight can cause one to be joyful uh, and to have peace? So this seems to follow based on his subsequent observations that a person's wisdom or folly, a person's wisdom or foolishness is going to be evident. Chapter 10 and verse verse 3, even if they try to hide it or pretend to be something else, who they are eventually shines through. And for the one who possesses wisdom, Solomon says his face is it's going to make his face shine. It's going to be evident. It's going to be as evident to others as if it were written all over his face. In other words, that's kind of the expression that we that we use, right? It's written all over him. And so just as a fool's foolishness is obvious to others and the foolish decisions that they that they make and and the foolish things that they say when Solomon speaks of the hardness of his face, it's it's a reference to stubborn arrogance. That's how the Old Testament uses that phrase when it talks about hardness of face or countenance um, or something like that to, to that to that effect. It's um, it's saying that you know there it's our like, stiff necked is another phrase you're probably familiar with. It's it's describing that person's rebellious nature, their stubbornness. And so just as wisdom is observable in one's life and, and in conduct, so it is with foolishness. You have someone's face who's shining and you have someone who's, whose face is just hard and they're stubborn and they're, you know, they're going, they're going their own way no matter how destructive it, it is for them and their family. And so Solomon lays out one particular uh, scenario, standing before a king in, in verses 2 and 3. So all of that to set up you know, the, the certainty of this the, the certainty that he's contrasting with uncertainty later in the chapter. And he's he gives this scenario. He says, I say, verse 2, Keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence, and do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. 
so we read scripture and we know all authority is from God. And he, one of the things that he tells his people is to submit to the king. In Romans chapter 13, submit to all authority. And certainly that was true, you know, as we think about the historical context of Ecclesiastes and the time of Israel and the time of the kings in particular, um, that that was God's chosen sovereign and um, people had to, to submit. And I think that what Solomon is saying is that you got to be careful and pay attention to how you're behaving because even what seem to be innocent choices can come across as presumptive, presumptive and offensive. Uh, like, as he says here, decide, even deciding when to leave, right? Uh, don't even be hasty to go from his presence. So that, you know, we have to be careful. It's a lesson on authority. We, we have to be careful of presumption and, uh, and, and make sure that we're submitting and have the proper attitude of humility and, and submission. I, and I think that there's some insight here for submission to Christ. So I think this is one of those messianic lessons that, that comes in through this text is that we know Jesus in Matthew 28, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he has all authority. And God made an oath to him that his throne would be forever right in first samuel 7 and we should hasten to come into his presence and never step away you know as the old hymn goes that we sing let me never wander from thee never leave the god i love and let your goodness bind my heart to you uh, like a fetter uh, so we I, I think when we read those words, or at least for me in Ecclesiastes 8, 2, and 3, you know, I, I see so much of New Testament theology or teaching within, within those verses, especially as it regards to Christ. Authority in general, but specifically he's talking about the authority of a king and, and submitting to a king. And, and two, recognize, Solomon is saying, don't take your stand in evil cause. Recognize that standing in evil means... Uh, in this case, standing opposed to the king, and certainly that's another allusion to Christ, right? Solomon, Solomon himself, as a king, was eventually given over to evil in First Kings eleven, and you know the the his idolatrous wives they turned his heart away from from the living God. It says there in First Kings eleven. So th- that king, in particular, even the ones who's, the one who's writing these words, was eventually given over to evil, but Christ never will. And he has, again, all authority to judge and, and, and condemn. And so herein is another lesson. Recognize if you stand uh, against him, you don't have any hope, right? For the word, if you continue reading now, verses 4 and 5, for the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. Uh, so again, Christ having all authority, God is speaking through him, and no one can question him. And that's actually something that Paul addresses within the New Testament, right? In Romans chapter 9, where he's kind of anticipating some objections from his own people about, you know, them speaking to the unfairness of God's plan of salvation or, you know, use, using, you know, the Jew, Jewish nation as a vessel just to ultimately bring about his son and then change, you know, change everything, change the old covenant. So, in that context, Paul is saying, who are, who are you to answer back to God? You know, in other words, why are you talking back? Um, no, no one can question him. His will is his will. 
And I believe Solomon is saying the same thing here. That the word of the king is is supreme, and and that's a and that's a good thing, right? Because when he says something, that means it's going to stand. And when he makes a promise, it's going to stand. And he promises salvation, and he promises safety when there's abiding in his will, right? It's, uh, Second uh, John nine, first First John two seventeen, and here in verses four and five, whoever keeps the command will know no evil thing. No K N O W, and then no N O, no evil thing, and that is a reflection of Christ Himself, right? In Him there is no darkness at all, and His people strive for that same purity. And and two, the, it you know the promise of um, overcoming death, right? Whoever um, loves me will he has passed from death to life. I'm paraphrasing there, but that's another promise of, of Christ. So there's, again, you know, you see that rehashing of the promise of safety and, and salvation. And this is another promise of wisdom's protection, as seen in, in Proverbs so often. Uh, some examples are in Proverbs 3.18 and 4.13. And so <clears throat> lots of messianic implications here. And then Solomon shifts now to discuss those things um, that we read at the beginning of this talk. Um, the things that are uncertain. So what you can be sure of is that there is one ultimate authority and all are answerable to him. And in him, there is safety and protection and, and submit to him. And and now he shifts to discuss in uh, um, the, these uncertainties. So he gives another assurance, first of all, of times variables that come upon all people, ignorance and powerlessness over the future and specifically death. He'll say, no, um, no one has the power to retain their spirit, which is um, just such a sobering statement, I think. You know, try as you might when it's time, when your spirit is going to leave your body. There's no there's no turning back. However desperately you may want to stay or how you know furiously your own body is fighting to keep its life, it's when it's time to go, you won't have the power to retain your spirit. And so, again, this is contrasted to God who can commit his spirit or yield it up when, as he did on, on the cross. Um, he could come down from the cross and restore his body. He, Jesus could have done that if had it been his Father's will. But his Father's will was for him to die as a sacrifice and then be raised three days later. But for all other, other men, I think what is said here is, is true, but it's also a, a, a comfort in a way, because it prompts us to find assurance in the promises of God and the salvation that he's, he's brought through his son and the reminder that we have that he has overcome death and that he has the keys of death in Hades and the brevity of life and the frailty of life. He's, he's overcome it all, no matter you know how well it may be for us here, uh, at least in this particular time and place, we have it pretty easy. We have a limited time to enjoy it, uh, but most importantly, you know, we're not here just to to enjoy it. We're we're here to be reconciled to God, so that we can truly enjoy life here and now, and look forward to true life um, that He's prepared for us in in eternity. And um, you know, here and we can be released from our fears and anxiety about the the inevitable. Right, so you it's you don't know when your time is going to come, 
That's uncertain. You don't know when Jesus is going to come back. That's uncertain. But what is certain is that he is, right? And you have to be prepared, and I have to be prepared. And Solomon mentions another variable, which is war. You know, certainly those are wartime is an uncertain time, and that I think has been brought to the to the front these days, especially with the war going on in, in Ukraine. And uh, we, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen. You know, there was a lot of talk. There's a lot of ideas. From, remember at the outset when the news was still covering it, people had all these theories about how long it was going to be and when, you know, this city or that city was going to fall. You know, everybody was wrong. <laughs> it was just. You know, everyone was talking like they knew exactly how it was going to pan out, but nobody knows. And so Solomon um, does the same thing here. He says, "There's no, you know, there's no discharge in in war, and there's there's no avoiding it. There's no into it. There's gonna it, it's going to happen, and you're powerless, and I'm powerless to determine the outcome. And also, uh, you know, if we're in the midst of that conflict, like so many poor people are over there, you can't determine your relevance." Within that, you're just, you know, you, all you can do is the best you can. Whether someone lives through it or within it, um, you, know, you know, there's no there's no discharge is the phrase that Solomon uses. So how, how, whatever the meaning, I think the point is that um, Solomon is certain of it, just as his previous statements um, and, and, and this one, that the uncertainty of it is what's certain. And... He he contrasts that statement with another one where he says, the wickedness of the wicked will not deliver the wicked. And so this is introduced into the context as a contrast to the wisdom he enjoins um, as he constant, contemplates the hurt of man and his uh, impotence to change, his, his powerlessness to change, being hurt by these various scenarios. Right, Wisdom makes the face shine. It brings acceptance by the king, verses 2 and 4. It makes life bearable and enjoyable despite difficulty, despite the uncertainties. Um, but wickedness eventually brings punishment. And this is what he goes on to explain. Um, so he talks about, and notice how he talks about the burial of wicked men in verse 10, where he begins, So I've seen the wicked buried, those who used to go in and out of the holy place, and they are soon forgotten in the city. Where they did such things, this too is futility. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of mankind among them are fully given to do to do evil. And though a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life, still I know that it will go well for those who fear God, who fear Him openly. But it will not go well for the evil person. He will not lengthen his days like a shadow because he does not fear God. Uh, so there again, their wickedness seems to have been known publicly, right? Even as they went in and out of the holy place or worship publicly for some time, and the, it's like they weren't ever held accountable. And uh, Solomon he's, he makes the the point, you know, briefly in there about the timeliness of executing justice, lest evil be encouraged within a society. So he's he's making this observation, and kind of like as a parenthetical thought before he makes his big conclusion, he says. You know what? You know the problem is is that justice isn't executed quickly, and that's why people, wicked people are encouraged to do more wickedness. Right? Uh, do we see that playing out today in our society? Holy smoke! Absolutely. So governments shouldn't bear the sword in vain. So let's pause just to reflect on that point from Romans thirteen four that that governments that exist as God ordained 
them to one, one of their functions is to be his agents of wrath to bring punishment to the wrongdoer is the wording that Paul uses in Romans 13 and verse 4 that they don't bear the sword in vain and that they are God's instruments of wrath uh, and so governments human government should not shy away from that role and protect their own people and do so fairly and justly and and quickly um, and then we come to something prof- I, I think that's very profound in, in the text where you, you see these statements, which I think is his big conclusion here from verse 10 and, and verses 12 and 13. He says, though, again, a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet it will be well for those who fear God, but it will not be well with the wicked and neither will he prolong his days like a shadow. Uh, so I, I say it's profound because you... He seems to be contradicting himself, but he's using these phrases. So in other words, how can it be that a sinner could both prolong his life yet not prolong his days through sin? Because he's saying the same thing, right? Through his wickedness, he's prolonging his life, but he will not prolong his, he will not lengthen his days in his sin. So you would think reading that, well, isn't prolonging your life the same thing as lengthening your days? You know, and up to the time when, Ecclesiastes was written, you know, God had revealed very little about the the future life, the afterlife. But Solomon knew that living a long time is not necessarily the same as prolonging one's days. And this fact only comes to have real meaning, I think, by the revelation of eternal life in, in Christ. Because eternal life in Him is both qualitative qualitatively, quality-wise, and quantitatively, uh, longevity-wise. It's beyond any number of years on earth and, and beyond any good thing that we can have on on earth. right? So in, in other words, Solomon is saying, okay, yeah, they might live for a little longer, but what, what really counts is they're not going to lengthen their days in, in eternity. In other words, it's still going to go very badly for them once their time here is up on, on earth. But for the ones who fear God, they they will prosper. Even though they may suffer here and now, they ultimately will be the ones who lengthen their days and have an enriched life, um, quality, eternal life. And then Solomon concludes with verses 14 and 15 that we read at the outset where basically he's saying, right, the the wicked deeds happen according to the deeds of um, the righteous and Righteous deeds happen to according. In other words, good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people is the way that we would say that. And he says this is vanity, but it's nevertheless the way the Lord conducts his his earth. Rain falls on the just and the unjust, and simply because tragic things happen to people doesn't mean that they are uh, worse people than than others. You know, or just because good things happen to people doesn't mean that they're better. Or they're in right standing with God, certainly. So Solomon is saying you can't read um you you can't read God's will that way by looking at you know the the the, the good fortune that maybe someone experiences. Uh, because again, the, the sun rises on the just and the unjust, the rain falls on the righteous and 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 the wicked. And so Solomon commends joy. He just says that this is the joy that comes from wisdom and knowing you can't sort out life's unfairness and intricacies and uncertainties and certainly not the providence of God. And you can look at that and be fixated on it and and uh, 
Uh, but it's just going to lead you to be frustrated. But what you can be sure of, again, is his ultimate justice in, in eternity. So enjoy life while it lasts here. Do the best you can. And most importantly, make sure that you're right with him. And this is, and that's the, the thing that Solomon will fixate on in these remaining chapters. You'll see it coming up more and more, like when he makes statements like, remember God in the days of, of your youth and remember him when you're older. And, you know, the ultimate conclusion of fear God and keep his commandments. Like when all has been heard, this is the whole duty of man, fear God and keep his commandments. So now he's going to really start. It's That conclusion has been appearing throughout the book, if you've been paying attention throughout the book. Not that exact phrasing has appeared from Ecclesiastes 13, but the same sentiment throughout the throughout the book. And now it's going to appear, I think, more frequently as we conclude in chapters 9 through, through 13. So um, you can only be certain of what God has revealed, and you can do all within your power to align yourself in your life with what has been revealed in humility and in reverence and, and love for him and his son so that when your days are over here in this life, however painful or however short they may have been, um, you will find them prolonged in eternity and void of, of pain. And not only void of pain, but full of joy and, and peace and happiness. So, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we ready? You know, should our time end today or tomorrow or this week and we depart this world, have we done what's necessary to be reconciled to God and let him take out of the way what's standing between that reconciliation, our reconciliation with him, which is our sin? All the evil thoughts and words and deeds we've done in our lives, no amount of good thoughts and words and deeds will ever cancel those other things out the only thing that will remove them from your soul from your from the ledger that's before god that contains all those things is the blood of christ that's the only thing his sacrifice is the only thing powerful enough to take them away and then his life his resurrected life as a high priest and your intercessor is the only thing that will keep them away as you live for him and continue to repent and confess your sins, he will intercede for you. That's his promise. First John 1, verses 8 through 10. If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he's the answer. He's the only thing that can take your sin out of the way so that you can be reconciled to God. And the way that he says he's going to do that in Mark 16, 16 is, as he says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. And that's the message that his chosen apostles preached. When people began to learn about Jesus and his sacrifice and what it meant, uh, and they were scared and they were cut to the heart and they were upset, and they said in Acts two thirty seven, what are we even going to do? They were told in verse 38 to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And they could have the gift of the Holy Spirit. They could have salvation. And uh, that's very good news. Very good news for us all. So what do you need to do? Make sure you do it before your time runs out. And thanks for tuning in.